Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. This is actually our final message in our series, 40 Days of Joy. We've been studying through Philippians chapter 4. It's just been an amazing study. But as we continue this series, actually finish this series, today what we're going to talk about is joyful finances. We're actually going to look at how to experience joy in our finances, and we're going to look at one of the most amazing promises that God gives his children about how he will get involved in our finances. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse 19. Look at what God's word says. This is an incredible promise. God's word says this, and my God will supply every need of yours, how? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So how do you have joyful finances? So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about money. Now I know that anytime you come to church and the preacher's gonna talk about money, suddenly you got these warning signals that go off, right? Everybody hold your wallet, he's gonna probably take an offering, right? And you got all, what's the ulterior motive of why we're talking about this? You may have heard the story about the Baptist preacher who he was in his office and he gets a call one day and a lady says, um, um, do you do funerals? And he says, yes, of course I do. And she says, well, I need a funeral done for Brandy. And he goes, well, tell me about Brandy. And she goes, well, Brandy is a lifelong companion of mine. You see, Brandy's my dog. And I really want to give Brandy a funeral. And the pastor said, well, you know, um, I'm a Baptist pastor. And typically Baptist pastors do not do, um, you know, dog funerals. And, and maybe, you know, maybe just call the Episcopal Church. They may do that for you, okay? And she gets mad on the phone and she goes, well, if it costs me $10,000, I'm going to get Brandy a funeral. And then the pastor goes, $10,000? Why didn't you say Brandy was a Baptist dog? <laughs> and maybe that's where you are today. Okay, what's the ulterior motive of why is he talking about money? Well, let me explain. First of all, it's the last passage of Philippians 4. We're studying through Philippians 4, and that's how Paul ends this section is on a subject of money. But think about it. We're in a series on joy. And if you're going to experience joy in your life, you better learn how to invite God into those finances. You better learn how to experience God's blessings in your life with finances. Because finances is probably one of the biggest areas in our culture where people lose their joy. In fact, did you know that 57% of divorces cite money problems as the reason why they are divorcing? Did you know that 75% of Americans say that they are regularly stressed out in their finances? And if there is something that will steal your joy, it will be your money. And so you need to learn how to invite God into your finances so that you can have a joyful finances. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to see one of the most amazing promises in the Bible where God promises to get involved in our finances. But here's the deal. That promise is conditional. You go, what does that mean? That means that God expects you to do certain things if he's going to fulfill that promise. See, God blesses generosity. And whenever God's children give to his kingdom, then God says, okay, now I can begin to start working in their life because they've chosen to trust me by faith. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about. That's what the Apostle Paul does in this final section of verses in Philippians 4. He talks about all the different ways that God gets involved in your life and in your finances when you start giving to God's kingdom. And so I want you to jot them down in your outline. There's four things that Paul gives us in this text that happens when you give. So jot them down. First of all, your giving creates a partnership. Your giving actually creates a partnership. Now, don't you want God to partner with you in your finances? Paul says that's what happens whenever you give to God's kingdom. Now, you know what a partnership is, right? I mean, a partnership's like this. Imagine that um, I'm opening up a new Chick-fil-A in Ottawa. And my understanding is that Chick-fil-A is coming there, okay? And let's just say that I'm the one that's going to open it up, and you know it's going to make a killing up there, right? And so, um, but I'm a little, you know, short on cash. I need like $700,000 to pull it off. And so I enter into a partnership with you. And I say, okay, typically they'll make about $3 million a year, 6% profit. I'll split that 50-50 with you for the first 10 years. You'll make 12% on all your money. And then at the end of 10 years, you'll get $200,000 on top of that. Sound like a deal? You make a deal with me, okay? And we enter into a partnership. You never even have to step into the store. But because you financially have helped me get started, we have this partnership. Paul says that is exactly what the Philippian church did with him as a missionary. Check it out. Look how he says this. Verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. In your outline, verse 15, circle the word partnership there. See, Paul's a missionary. He needed to go do his ministry around the Asia Minor, and he needed people to support him. Now, the church that sent him out of Antioch, they were not financially helping him. A lot of the young churches that he started were not able to help him, but the church at Philippi did. And Paul's saying, you guys have entered into this partnership with me. So what does that mean? That means whenever Paul went to heaven, good news, Paul gets all these amazing rewards for all his kingdom endeavors. But the people in Philippi that helped him out, they are part of that blessing as well. Why? Because they were in a partnership with the Apostle Paul. Did you know something? That every time you give to this church, you're entering into a partnership? And all the amazing things that God is doing in and through this church, you are a part of that. Did you know that in this church, we support thousands of missionaries around the world? I mean, through what we call the cooperative program. But did you also know that we have 17 missionaries from our church that by and large, most of their support comes from this church. They are literally on just about every continent around this planet and they are always bringing the gospel to those that have never heard. And that happens through your giving. I mean, a couple years ago, we adopted an unreached people group. That means it's a group of people around this planet that had never heard of Jesus before. It's the Basoto people in East Asia. We knew, okay, we're going to adopt these people and try to bring them to Jesus Christ. Well, they didn't even have the scriptures. And so what did we do as a congregation? We determined we're going to get the scriptures into their heart language. And the first book that we had done was the book of Acts. See this right here? This is the book of Acts that you paid for. For the Basoto people who had never heard about Jesus. There are now believers studying the book of Acts because you gave. That was a partnership that you're part of. I mean, we, we've planted churches in the United States around this world. And that was a partnership that you've been a part of. 
We are involved with almost a dozen different ministries right here in Chattanooga, reaching the inner city. Amazing ministries are happening in this church and through this church. I mean, did you know that there's a food pantry at our St. Elmo campus? I mean, they feed 10,000 people a year. 76 people came to faith last year through a food pantry that you help host, okay? That's a partnership that we're a part of. I mean, think about it. Our church, we have four venues every weekend, four campuses, reaching over 3,800 people every weekend. The ripple effect of this church is amazing, and it's all because you give. And because you give, you've entered into a partnership. And everything God's doing is because you've chosen to join him in a partnership. That's what Paul's saying here. Do you remember the old gospel song, Ray Bolts, Thank You? There's a few of you nod your head. It goes way back. I know it does. It starts off, dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. And then he talks about in heaven meeting all these different people. And he says that, you know, suddenly there's a man that stood before you. And he said, you know, do you remember the time that a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry? And you didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway? Well, Jesus took that gift you gave. And that's why I'm in heaven today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. That's a life that's changed. And that's the same way. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul says when you give, you're actually entering into a partnership with God in his kingdom work. And he blesses that. Listen, folks, you're not taking it with you, right? Uh, there was an epitaph on one gravestone that read this way. What I spent, I lost. What I saved, I left. What I gave, I have. See, whenever you give to God's kingdom, you're entering into an eternal partnership with God. But there's a second thing that Paul says happens when you give to God's kingdom, and it's this. Jot this down. Number two is this. Your giving produces credit. Your giving actually produces a credit. I don't know about you. I would love to have some credit with Almighty God, wouldn't you? Well, that's what Paul says happens next. Look at it, verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In your outline, circle the word fruit and circle the word credit. Both of those words are accounting terms. Fruit, what does that mean? That means that God promises a harvest coming your way. Credit, that means that God puts a positive entry into your account. God says, I start putting positive harvests and credits into your account. And the good news, God's rate of interest grows a lot faster than any bank's rate of interest. I mean, years ago when my kids were real young, I was trying to teach them how to save. They had acquired about a couple hundred dollars each from, you know, birthdays and Christmases and working around the house and stuff like that. And so I was trying to convince them, hey, let's, let's open a savings account for you guys. They were a little leery. They didn't want to give up that 200 bucks. And so I said, you know what? Here's the deal. When you put it in the bank and they hold it for you, the bank actually pays you to hold their money, hold your money. It's called interest. And they go, really? I said, yep, the bank will pay you interest to put it in there. And so they, each of them, I convinced them that we open up a savings account for each one of them. Well, the very first quarter, the bank statement comes by, and they're all excited because they don't get any mail. And suddenly they get something from the bank, and it's their quarterly bank statement. They're all excited. How much money did the bank give us? And they open up the bank statement, and they look, and then they look at me. 50 cents? They kept my money for three months, and they only gave me 50 cents. I said, that's the way the banks work. That's how they make their money, okay? But God's credit... God's interest grows at a much greater rate. In fact, I want you to see biblically two ways that God blesses you when you give to his kingdom. 
First of all, jot this down. First of all, God gives us spiritual blessings. God gives us spiritual blessings. This isn't just a financial thing. God will bless you spiritually. See, there's a difference between the two. The Apostle Paul talks about this whenever he wrote the church in Rome. In Romans 15, he was trying to encourage the Christians, the Gentile Christians, to give to the famine relief of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Look at how he said this. Verse 26, he says, For Macedonia and Archaea were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in the material blessings. Circle spiritual blessings. Can I just, I believe this. I believe that most of us, what most of us need are spiritual blessings. We do. We need God spiritually working in our lives. And whenever God blesses me spiritually, you know what happens? Suddenly I have the power to overcome that temptation and resist that sin and that stronghold that I always seem to give into, right? That's spiritual blessing. Or maybe God blesses you spiritually where you suddenly have wisdom to make the right decision. Or God God gives you grace and love to be able to forgive your spouse and reconcile with them. Or maybe God gives you peace in the midst of the storm. We all need God's spiritual blessings. We are desperate for God's spiritual blessings. But this is what I've seen. Christians who basically have refused to give to God's kingdom, their spiritual growth stops. I mean, literally, you can see Christians' lives in how they take off spiritually or they stall spiritually based on are they going to trust God financially. That's what I've seen over and over again. You go, why is that? Because look, it's hard for us to believe in a God we can't see, right? And it's even a little bit harder for us to sacrifice financially and give money to a God that we can't see. But when you do that, it's an amazing demonstration of faith. And God says, I will bless that act of faith. But if you don't, you know what that does? All it does is reveal your heart. You really don't believe in God anyway, right? It's a heart issue. Look at how Jesus put it. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is ultimately a heart issue. And if you do not trust God in the most simple area of finances, how can you say you trust God in any other way? You don't. You're fooling yourself. You are, in essence, a practical atheist, okay? Because whenever you trust God and you give, that's a tangible way of saying, God, here it is. I'm trusting you financially. And when you do that, watch out. You will start growing spiritually. You will. But there's a second way that God blesses us, not just with spiritual growth, but secondly, when you give to God's kingdom, God blesses us with financial blessings. God really does give us financial blessings. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 6. He says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know what the Apostle Paul is doing there? He is actually saying that the laws of the harvest apply to our giving. Now, you know how the laws of the harvest work, right? I mean, I have here some seeds. And I know that if I plant these seeds that in the next season, I will most likely get a harvest from them, okay? That's how this thing works. And God says it's the same way financially. Whenever you plant your seeds of faith and you give to God's kingdom, God says, I will bless you with a harvest. Now, why? Why is God gonna bless you financially? So you can spend more money on yourself? Of course not. God will bless us so that we'll be a blessing to others around us. That's ultimately the reason why. 
I mean, I love the story of multimillionaire R.G. Letourneau. He gave away 90% of his wealth. And people asked him, how in the world were you able to give so much away? I love this quote. Look what he says. He says, I shovel money out and God shoves it back in. But God's got a bigger shovel. I love that. Did you know that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9? Look what he says. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, he says this. You will be made rich in every way. Why? So you can spend more money on yourself? No. So that you can be generous on every occasion. Circle the word made rich. Now, I know that some people take that verse out of context, and they'll just imagine that God's this financial genie, and I, my wish is his you know, command. And you know, look, That's not what's saying here. But God does bless us financially when we give to his kingdom. He will take care of us. He will bless us. Now, before I leave this section, I believe it's always important that anytime you talk about financial blessings, that you give the whole counsel of God. And so what I want to do real briefly is I want to give you the three keys to financial success. This is what the Bible teaches, the three keys of financial success. You must have all three. Can't just pick and choose. You must have all three. So what are they? The first key is you must work diligently. You must work diligently. God does not bless laziness. No, you find a job, you work hard at that job, God will bless you in that way, okay? Second thing you've got to do is you must be content continuously. You've got to learn to live within your means. You've got to learn to say no to your impulse buying. You've got to learn to be content with what you got, okay? And then the third thing is God says you must give generously. You must have a generous heart and be willing to give to God's kingdom. Those are the three keys. You've got to do all three. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, okay, I'm going to work diligently and I'm going to be content Well, all that's going to be is you're going to be a Scrooge and a miser. Or you may say, okay, I'm going to work diligently, and I'm going to be generous, but I'm not going to learn to be content, then you'll never have enough money, okay? You must do all three, and whenever God sees a person who is all three, works hard, is content with what they got, and are generous, God says, I can bless that person. That's the person I want to bless, okay? And he will. So, whenever you give to God's kingdom, it creates a partnership between you and God, Secondly, what it does, it creates blessings of God. But there's a third thing that happens whenever you give. Jot this on your outline. Your giving is also an act of worship. Your giving actually becomes an act of worship. Check it out. Look how the Apostle Paul says this in the next verse, verse 18. Paul says, I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. How does he describe those gifts? A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In your outline, circle the word fragrant offering. You may go, what does that mean, fragrant offering? What is that all about? Well, that goes back to the Old Testament worship. In the Old Testament, that any time anyone would come to worship God in the temple, they always had to bring some type of sacrifice. It may have been a bull or a lamb, or if you were real poor, it may have been a dove. And if your offering had no blemish, it would be killed and then it would be burned. And God said that whenever you offer God those offerings, what it was was a ah, sweet-smelling aroma, that God actually accepts that worship from you. The, The idea is sort of like, you know what, you come home and somebody's cooking dinner and you come through the door and you go, wow, that smells amazing, what's for dinner, right? Well, that's what God says. Whenever you worship and you've given sacrificial offerings to the Lord, Paul says that it's, 
Ah, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. That worship was amazing, that's what God says. Now, let's be real clear. It is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross alone that saves us from our sins. Nod your head if you get that, okay? Jesus died on the cross in our place and for our sins. It is his death alone that makes us acceptable to God, okay? That's it. And whenever Christ died on the cross to the Father, it was, ah, his sacrifice is pleasing to me. But Paul is saying God still expects us to offer sacrifice. Not for forgiveness of sins, no, but for fellowship and for worship. God expects us to come sacrifice to the Lord. And yet the sad reality of many Christians is they come to church every week empty-handed. I mean, in the Old Testament, that would be unthinkable that you're going to come to the temple and worship God empty-handed? Why would you do that? Why do we do that? I'll tell you why we do that. Because we think that all of our stuff belongs to us, right? We think that we're the source of all the blessings we have. Basically, we go, I ain't giving none of my stuff to church. I worked hard for my stuff. This is my stuff. I worked hard for my stuff. This is mine. I don't care what that preacher says. This is my stuff. I ain't giving none of my stuff away, right? You know what? You're, you're, you're saying that you're the one who created all the stuff you have. There, there was a man, I read a story several years back. They took his son, his, his um, five-year-old son, Jimmy, to a McDonald's. And he said he bought them both a Coke to drink and a supersize fries. And so he sat down there and, you know, he was sipping on his drink. And, and he reaches over to grab one of the fries. And immediately his five-year-old son, Jimmy, puts his arms around them and says, No, these are mine. And his dad was taken back with his son's selfishness. And he's like, I can't believe that my kid isn't going to share his fries with me. And then he goes, doesn't he know I'm the one who gave him those fries in the first place? I mean, I mean, doesn't he know that? I mean, that I'm the one that went to the cashier and paid the money so that he could even have those fries. And does he really think that his little scrawny arms would keep me from getting fries if I really wanted them? I mean, you know, I'm 6'1", 215. I could get those fries if I really want them. All I wanted to do was share a meal with my son. That's all I wanted. And then he had this thought. The selfishness of my son is the same way I am selfish toward God. I somehow think that all the blessings I have are mine. Listen to me. God does not want to steal from you, make you poor. He doesn't want all your money. But he does want you to acknowledge him. He wants you to give him his tithe. Why? Because whenever you give the tithe, it is your way of acknowledging, God, you're the one who's given it all to me. And because of the blessings in my life, I'm choosing to honor you, God, with these tithes. I'm acknowledging that you're the source of everything I have. And when you do that, you know what that is? That is an act of worship. And God says, ah, thank you for worshiping me that way. And so whenever you give to God's kingdom creates a partnership, creates credit and blessings into your account from God. It's an act of worship. But there's a fourth thing that Paul says happens when you give to God's kingdom. Jot this down. Your giving comes with a promise. Your giving comes with a promise. In fact, it's one of the most amazing promises in the Bible of God financially getting involved in your finances. Look at it again, verse 19. Paul says this, and my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's such an amazing promise. Let's read it together, okay? It's up on the screen. Let's read that verse aloud together. Ready? 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? God's going to take care of your needs. God's going to get involved in your finances and bless you so that he can take care of you. In the Old Testament, King David said something very similar to that. In Psalm 37, verse 25, King David said this, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen a righteous person abandoned or his descendants begging for food. What does that mean? My God's gonna take care of all your needs. That's what he means. Now, let me just quickly say, the Bible says that God's gonna take care of all your needs. The Bible does not say God's gonna take care of all your wants, right? Nod your head if you understand that, okay? Okay, because there are times that, you know, our, our wants and our needs are two different things. In fact, there was a study done by sociologists in 1890 where they asked Americans, describe, write down all of your basic needs. What are the essential needs of your life? And in 1890, they came up with 16 essential needs. They decided 100 years later they would ask the very same question. So they asked a group of people 100 years later in the United States in 1990, what are your essential needs? What do you think the number was? It was 98 essential needs. And I bet it's probably grown even more, right? And you go, well, well how many? What, what are our essential needs? How many essential needs do we have? I don't know, but I know this. My God will supply all your needs. Listen to me. Now, our God's not a stingy God. He's not trying to keep things from you. He's not. Our God is generous. He is gracious. He loves to give good gifts to his children. That's what Jesus said. And I know that my God's going to supply all your needs. Now, what happens if I'm doing what God says? I'm working diligently. I'm, I'm you know, living content with what I've got. And, and I'm generous. And then God doesn't supply something for me. What does that mean? That means you didn't need that. That's what it means. Okay? And you just trust God, okay? God, I'm going to trust you. I didn't need that. But you know what? This is a promise you can take to the bank. In fact, I encourage everybody in this room, memorize this verse. Write it down. Pray it over your financial needs. God will fulfill his word. Our God is not a liar. He will do what he promises us. He will. I remember the very first time that God financially provided for me. I was a newer Christian um, I was 20 years old. I had left Florida to go to Texas to go to Bible college. I was working hard as a paper carrier. I wasn't making a lot of money. I, I made less than $1,000 a month. But I felt like God had asked me to give, trust him with $100 of tithe to my church every month. So that's what I did. So I was given $100 every month. What well, just so happened that about the time that I was to give a $100 tithe, I also had a partial insurance payment that was due at the same time. It ended up, both of them were about $100. I didn't have $200. I only had $100. I'm like, okay, God, what am I supposed to do here? I don't know what to do. They both seem like this is what you want me to do. What am I supposed to do? And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give the first fruits. I'm going to give the tithe to you. And I'm going to trust you to take care of the rest. And so, you know, a few days later, the family that I was living with, the wife... Um, she came to me and says, you know, Tony, um, my brother was here last week and he left an envelope for you and I forgot to give it to you. And so here's the envelope. What do you think was in the envelope? It was $100. I mean, I had no idea. She didn't know. Only person that knew I had this struggle was God. But God had already taken care of it before it ever happened. 
Why? Because my God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He'll do it. He will. Can I tell you something? That was 34 years ago. God has never let me down since. I give away more money than I ever have in the past, and I am more blessed than I've ever been. I am blessed spiritually before God. I am blessed financially. I'm blessed in an amazing marriage. I'm blessed with incredible kids. I'm blessed with the most amazing ministry I could ever imagine being a part of. You are looking at a blessed man. But can I tell you something? It has absolutely nothing to do with me. It's all God. God is true to his word. You trust God. He will come through. And I believe there are hundreds of you that could stand and testify and say, yes, I've trusted God. He is faithful and true. And he is. He will. And you go, well, how does God take care of all our needs? Well, Paul tells us in verse 19. He says it is how? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you something? God's vaults are never empty. God's banks never go bankrupt. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills as well. God is the one who spoke this world into existence, and he's the one who holds this world together by the very power of his word. And a God that can do that can take care of your needs. That's what Paul's saying. But you've got to make a choice. Either you're going to handle the finances on your own. Okay, I'll manage this on my own. And if you do, you'll not have joyful finances. Or you say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to invite the God of the universe into my finances, and I'm going to trust him. And you know what's going to happen? Suddenly, you will become a channel and river of blessing that he will flow through. But you've got to trust him. Years ago, I toured um, the Holy Land, and I went to all the different spots where Jesus did his ministry. And one of those um, areas was obviously the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus did most of his ministry. And if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, it's a beautiful lake. I mean, it's lush and green and beautiful. And then the Sea of Galilee flows down through the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is where Jesus was baptized. And all around the Jordan River, it is lush and green and beautiful. But then the Jordan River flows into what's known as the Dead Sea. And it's obviously, by its name, is dead. Everything around it is dead. I mean, there's no life at all. The Dead Sea has the highest salt content of any body of water on this planet. And you go, well, how is that? I mean, the Sea of Galilee is lush and beautiful, and the Jordan River is lush and beautiful. It all flows into the Dead Sea. Why isn't it lush and green and beautiful? One reason. The Dead Sea has no outlet. The Dead Sea flows nowhere. And so what happens? The only way that water escapes the Dead Sea is through evaporation. And whenever the water is evaporated out, you know what's left? is just salt. And so everything there is dead. Can I tell you? That's the choice you have to make. If you invite God into your finances, you will be like a river flowing. And God will continue to flow blessings into your life. Why? So that you can be a blessing to others. Or... You can choose, no, I'm going to be a dead sea. I'm going to keep it all for myself. It's not going to flow out anywhere else. And if you do, you won't have joyful finances. But I guarantee you invite God in your finances, and then suddenly you'll have joyful finances. That's what Paul said to do. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. 
In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.